You're listening to Modern Intimacy, a show about mental health, sex, relationships, and the private things we need to talk about more publicly. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Balistrieri. As a licensed psychologist, certified sex therapist, certified sex addiction therapist, and packed trained couples therapist, I help people live more fulfilled lives by shattering stigma, erasing shame, and building connections. It's no secret that we live in a society that compartmentalizes mental health and sex from our everyday lives. On this show, we're going to change that, and we'll do it by getting curious together. In this podcast, I'll invite you to join me as I investigate the relationship between sex, mental health, relationships, and modern society. In each episode, it's my goal to provide safe, smart, dimensional, and practical answers to those complex questions you've been wondering about. Head on over to modernintimacy.com slash podcast for show notes and resources, or to submit a question or topic you'd like me to explore in future episodes, as well as to find all the links to follow us on your favorite podcast apps so you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to follow me on TikTok and Instagram at Dr. Kate Balistrieri for daily tips on how to improve your mental health, sex, and relationships. Everyone has questions. You are not alone. On this show, I make information accessible because everyone deserves to have more integrated, healthy, and sexually satisfying relationships. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Modern Intimacy. I'm Dr. Kate Balistrieri, and today I'm so excited to have with me Casey Tanner. Casey is an ASECT certified sex therapist who combines evidence-based research queer affirming care, and pleasure activism to cultivate powerful relationships. Specializing in gender and sexual diversity, Casey partners with individuals, relationships, and institutions to expand limited mindsets, foster courageous behavior, and empower meaningful change around gender and sexuality. Casey, thanks so much for joining me today as we talk about why pronouns matter. Yeah, no, this is one of my favorite topics. And also just thank you for reflecting my bio back to me. I've, I've never had it reflected back to me before. <laughs> that was a good moment for me to take in what it is that I do. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you have been really instrumental, I think, on social media, helping people really understand the queer experience and really just sexuality in general. I mean, I learned so much from you on social media too. So I'm really grateful to be putting our brains together and talking about pronouns because this is such an important conversation. And I think one that engenders a lot of fear for people around all sides of the conversation. So I'm really grateful to have your wisdom in this conversation. Well, no, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you bringing up fear because I think that really fear and shame is really what's at the base of our resistance to these conversations, because, you know, at the heart of it, most of us are good people who want to be kind to other people, Mm -hmm. but we weren't trained to use gender (laughs) language. So many of us, you know, in midlife and later in life are sort of like old dogs teaching ourselves new tricks because <laughs> it comes to this language mm-hmm. and it does take practice and it does take some of that emotional thought work to overcome the fear that you brought up. Yeah, absolutely. But before we even dive, dive into that, I wonder, yeah. let's just maybe take a step back and introduce what are pronouns and what are the pronouns that people can familiarize themselves with if they're thinking about what is the right pronoun for them or learning other people's pronouns. Yes. And, uh, you know, maybe we could even start by sharing our pronouns Mm -hmm. because I think that 
especially for healthcare providers, sharing pronouns to new clients, mm-hmm. or even in business settings, sharing sharing new pronouns to your colleagues um, helps normalize pronouns as mm-hmm. part of the conversation. So mine are they and she, and what are yours? You know, it's interesting. Uh, I was reflecting on that the other day and 20 years ago, they were she and they, And then I stopped being as mindful, I think, about my pronoun use for a few years. And I was really more aligned with she and she as a default or she and her, excuse me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've really been reevaluating, is that the right pronoun constellation for me? And I think it's mixed. I think some days I align with she and her and others I align with she and they. And it's, I don't exactly know when is the right time for me to use different pronouns. That's something that's still under construction as I make sense of this for myself. And I think that so many people listening will relate to that. Mm -hmm. And I love that you call it a constellation because you don't have to choose one pronoun and you don't have to choose one pronoun across time. I love that you brought up that it can change day to day. Um, But yeah, centering back to your question about what are they and, and how do we think about them? Pronouns are are just a a part of speech that we use when we're referring to other people and things and we're not using their names. It's Mm -hmm. how we talk about other people. And we all, you know, learn this in school growing up as a part of grammar. And now many of us are relearning it as a way to be more affirming to gender expansive and trans Mm -hmm. folks that Mm -hmm. are in our lives Mm -hmm. Um, because the way that we talk about people matters. Mm -hmm. And we're not just using pronouns when someone isn't in the room. We also often use pronouns when someone is in the room. Mm -hmm. For example, you know, if there was a third person here, I might say, oh, what did you think about what she just said? Right. Mm -hmm. And that person would bear witness to me using those pronouns. So whether or not the person is in the room or outside of the room, it is so important that we represent people's genders accurately. Of course, it is so necessary because if we don't take the time to learn each person's pronouns, we are really dismissing a huge part of their experience of who they are and and their right to be in the world as they are and as they experience themselves. So, you know, I think about how to maybe bring this conversation home to people who whose pronouns were given to them at birth and still that they... Uh, who align with the same pronouns that they were given at birth. Well, that was a clumsy yeah. sentence. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? Like this can be a little bit clumsy it as we is. try to figure it all out. And, and it's okay. Embrace yeah. It. Embrace it. yeah, exactly. Um, so when I think about, you know, people who really don't have to give much thought to that and the privilege that comes to that, it can be really confusing to really make sense of why it's so necessary to really give considered thought to other people's pronouns, because for them, it feels so easy right? And so seamless and straightforward. Um, But it can be a really insidious form of just disappearing another person's humanity and their own, um, you know, uh, just lived sense of their selves. And that is really horrible when you think about just the the death by a thousand little pokes that that can have on someone's soul. Yeah. I I had that exact (laughs) phrase in mind because that's what a microaggression is, right? I think some people think, well, it's just one little word. Why does it matter? But then you think about how many times that word gets used across contexts, and it is, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the pronouns that exist. I think most people are aware of the traditional pronouns, right? She, he, his, hers, they, it. But what are some of the other tr- uh, pronouns that exist? Yeah. So the 
the big one that we're talking about more and more right now is they, them, theirs. Mm-hmm. And um, in order, well, there's there's no rules for who can or can't use those pronouns, but the origin is really for folks who don't identify as women or men. They typically identify as gender fluid, non-binary, transgender. And so they, you know, for many people, they, them doesn't necessarily feel perfectly right, Mm -hmm. but it feels so much more affirming than having to Mm -hmm. be boxed into a binary pronoun. And for many people, they then does feel extremely euphoric and affirming. And there are a lot of folks I actually talk to who say, you know, the word for my gender or the pronoun that feels best for me probably hasn't been invented yet. Mm -hmm. And we're sort of waiting to see, maybe especially with this like next very creative generation, Mm -hmm. what language might come and develop. But there are other forms of gender neutral pronouns. Mm -hmm. Another one that is becoming more and more common is Z and Zier. Mm-hmm. C-E and Z-I-R, mm-hmm. many reasons why somebody might select or feel right about that versus they, them. Um, that list is getting longer and mm-hmm. longer, which is amazing because the human experience is such a multitude and so should the language we have to choose from. Absolutely, right? We, we should be able to find language that suits exactly how we feel and exactly what is our organic truth in our own skin. And in mm-hmm. our own lived experience. Now, one one thing that just came up for me as you were talking about pronouns is the the language around how to ask about pronouns. And I think some people are really trying their best, and they'll ask questions like, "What are your preferred pronouns?" But what's wrong with that question? Why should people avoid using the word preferred? Well, this question really points to how quickly language around this evolves. It's research says this language evolves every two to three years because three years ago, asking someone what their preferred pronouns was sort of the go-to way of talking about this Mm -hmm. and is very well-meaning. But what's implicit in that phrase is that pronouns are a preference, that they're Mm -hmm. a choice, that there's something that, you know, you you sort of hold lightly and prefer the same way you might prefer almond milk in your coffee and (laughs) cream, right? as we're talking about, it is so much bigger than that. Right. And so, and, and, and pronouns aren't correct. Pronouns aren't something that we opt in or out of as affirming allies. So asking instead, what are your pronouns simply, mm-hmm. right? Because that is what they are. That is the capital T truth for you mm-hmm. um, is, is, is perfectly good. And there's no need to add in that qualifier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That preferred qualifier, which implies that you can sort of wake up willy nilly and decide that you are a different human being every day and choose pronouns, you know, based on like an accessory that you might uh, apply to your outfit, right, right? right? which is not, which is really denying of someone's truth and their truth. Well, experience. that's a great point because I think that also feeds into this very, very harmful myth mm-hmm. that being non-binary is trendy or in, yeah. right? Yeah. Which that is not, there's nothing trendy about an identity that comes with um, so much stigmatization mm-hmm. in the world. And so I think, yeah, that, that qualifier preferred, I think sort of cycles that myth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Why is it, and so maybe this is a great piggyback on that point, why is it important for everyone to be declarative of their pronouns on a regular basis? I think there are many reasons for this. One that comes to mind right away is um, that if we only ask trans and non-binary people to talk about their pronouns, 
For one, we are forcing them to take up space that can oftentimes feel very unsafe to take up by Mm. initiating that conversation. Mm -hmm. We're also asking them to out themselves, Mm -hmm. right? Because if only trans folks do this, then we would assume that when someone shares their pronouns, they're trans, right? So everyone, including cis folks who are still using the same pronouns that they were assigned at birth, Mm -hmm. um, can model this and normalize this so that you don't have to out yourself by sharing your pronouns. And so that non-binary and trans folks don't have to be the people that raise their hands and make space for this, that actually folks without that marginalized identity can do that work. Exactly. So, so really just to highlight what you said, the, 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 allyship that comes with being declarative with your pronouns is that you're reducing the opportunity for further marginalization of a group of people that are already doing a lot of the emotional heavy lifting of having to shape shift the zeitgeist that we live in. Yes, that's beautifully said. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, let's talk a little bit maybe about why is it really hard for people to adapt a mindset of inclusivity around pronouns, around gender, around everything that comes with this conversation? Um, And then also, why is it maybe more challenging for them to adapt language? And I think those are two sometimes related, sometimes not related phenomena. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think in order for us to make way to be affirming for folks we might hit against our own stuff and our own socialization around what we were allowed to think about when we evaluated our own sexuality and gender, mm-hmm. right? Many of us are sort of like living in, um, living in prisons that we didn't choose, but mm-hmm. we've sort of continued to choose in adulthood. And the idea that we might actually be able to have freedom from that can be exciting, but it can also be very, very scary. So mm-hmm. if I make space for someone else to not identify as a woman or a man, I might then have to ask myself the question of why I identify the way that I do. And not everyone feels safe doing that work. Not everyone wants to do that work. I think often it has a lot more to do around our own trauma socialization around it than really the other person at all. Mm -hmm. And then the language piece, I mean, the most concrete uh, sort of feedback and barrier is the grammar, right? Mm -hmm. Like everyone is like, but how do we incorporate this? It's not grammatically correct. Mm -hmm. And it's actually not true that it's not grammatically correct. And in fact, we use gender neutral language and grammatically correct all of the time. Uh, The classic example is you know, my Uber driver is showing up and I say, oh, they're here, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't know what gender they they are. And that is very natural. Mm-hmm. But as soon as we know who we're talking about, there's something that goes off in our minds, yes. that, right? Grammar is a social construct. There's all sorts of white supremacy behind it to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can all do ourselves a favor by sort of like loosening up what we define as good, correct, right grammar. Yeah. I really appreciate you saying that. And, and I think it speaks to a couple of other things that maybe um, are important for us to acknowledge just in terms of human development and brain function, right? If we sort of, mm-hmm. oh, I, I hate that I'm even going to say this, but I'm going to say this, right? Let's just maybe take the political conversation and white supremacy and just hold space for it right here because it definitely applies and is necessary to talk about. But if we're just talking about brain function for a minute, it can be very difficult to reorganize the way that you think and the way that you speak because it's such an automatic 
human behavior that we learn so early on when our brain is developing. So I think that part of why people struggle is with, with the grammar part of it, in addition to all of the other constructs that overlay and shape how we are taught what we're taught, um, is this idea that um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to say the things that I need to say as quickly as I have been able to say them. And that is an incredibly privileged thing to think about, right? But also it's important to examine how do we learn new things when something that we've been taught is so ingrained in the whole paradigm that we've been exposed to in the world and how we speak and how we communicate. So I think it does bring up a lot of fear for people about if this thing that I was taught is something I have to change, am I going to be able to do it? Will I be able to do it without messing it up and hurting others? Um, will I be able to do it and not look silly, right? We're so shame avoidant and afraid, I think in today's world of saying the wrong thing and being accused of being um, somebody that we don't experience ourselves to be. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, and I think you're so right to bring up brain development because this isn't just about how we feel or about the decision to try. It is about that ingrained pattern and way of speaking. And it does require us to really slow down mm -hmm. our thought processes in order to do this right. But I think the other side of this is we have to give ourselves permission to mess this up as, we, as we're practicing it. Yes. We have to give ourselves space for that. If people are afraid that they are going to be canceled because they say the wrong pronouns, no one is going to attempt to do this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we could have a whole different episode about cancel culture. That's a whole, sort of whole different conversation. <laughs> right. But one, one thing that can sort of help with that fear is learning what to do when you mess up so that yes. you can, that you know, that there's, there's room for you, even if you do say the wrong thing. So let's talk about that. What can someone do if they are trying to use the right pronouns? This is new for them. They haven't practiced it much and they miss the mark or they stumble, what can they do? So if you realize it in the moment, as you're talking, correct yourself the same way you would, if you accidentally said someone's name wrong, like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I said, she, I meant they, and then move on. Mm -hmm. Don't wait for the person who you misgendered to say, Oh my gosh, don't worry. It's okay. Right. Cause that's putting that emotional labor back on them. Mm -hmm. Quick apology, correct yourself, move on. Now, what can also happen is you might be in a high pressure situation, like a meeting where you misgender someone and it's not until lunchtime that you're like, oh my God, I did that, right? Right, right. Now, everyone is different. The, uh, the community of folks using uh, gender neutral pronouns is not a monolith, but I think a good rule of thumb is if it's somebody that you have a relationship with, it's okay to do a quick reach out, whether that's via email or in passing one-on-one, -on -one, not in a group situation mm -hmm. and say, Hey, I, I noticed I did that. I'm sorry. I'm going to keep practicing and do better and then move on. Mm -hmm. um, letting them know that like, I am committed to, to being a safe person for you. If mm -hmm. you have no relationship with them whatsoever, then what I would do is practice and then just do better next time. And that's the best way you can show them that you're committed to being that safe space. Yeah. I really like what you said, right? Really practicing and taking that accountability on yourself. That's so important. And, uh, you know, I hope people listening to this um, are 
are listening and watching with an open mind and really trying to understand how can I be the person that I know myself to be, right? I am a good person. I do want people to feel safe around me. I want to feel safe around other people. And when we recognize that that's a mutual goal, I think it's a lot easier to maybe put ego aside and think more creatively on how we can learn to create safety relationally back and forth because it is a two-way street, right? Yeah, I, I like what you said about putting ego aside. That is so much what it's about. Mm-hmm. And the way that we were raised and rewarded or punished for making mistakes has a mm-hmm. lot to do with how we're going to show up in this conversation. Yeah. So bringing the self-compassion of like, okay, people have not always been kind and maybe have at times been cruel to me when I haven't been perfect mm-hmm. and noticing our own tendency to that then turn that in on ourselves. Mm-hmm. So just bringing like an immense amount of trauma-informed compassion to ourselves in this process too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And to each other, right? And when somebody, each- yeah. How would you encourage somebody who has been misgendered to maybe provide feedback if they choose to? You know, I probably wouldn't give advice to somebody who's been misgendered because I, I think that each person knows what works for them in that context. Um, what I would say is if it feels right to say something and you find yourself hesitating to say something, then to, to really ask yourself, what are my fears around speaking Mm -hmm. up around advocating for myself? Sometimes those fears are really rational in terms of like being in a space where it actually wouldn't be safe to speak up. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're rational because it's scary, but the space itself would be safe. And so trying to differentiate between times it's uncomfortable to advocate for yourself versus times where it's actually unsafe to advocate for yourself so that you can make that decision. I really like what you're saying there because it is, it is so necessary to really think about what kind of advocacy, self-advocacy is the best for you in the moment. And sometimes it's about the bigger picture and sometimes it's about physical safety and only you can make that decision in any given moment. Totally. And it can be a very authentic choice to Mm -hmm. be in a workplace and to continue to use binary pronouns. And then at home with folks that you um, know support you to use gender neutral pronouns and to use different pronouns in different contexts, depending on the level of safety, that can absolutely be an authentic choice. In addition to safety, what might be some other reasons that people might uh, might choose to um, use different pronouns in different settings? And I, you know, I, I also caught myself when I said the word choose, because Mm -hmm. I think it's complex, right? Like when we're deciding which settings we want to use different pronouns to some degree, it's a choice, but that choice is so impacted Mm -hmm. by the way other people respond to us. So how much of a choice is it really? I don't know. Language is imperfect as we're saying. Um, So what you're asking, what are some reasons why people might use different pronouns in different contexts besides Mm -hmm. Mm safety? Sure. Well, I use they, them pronouns at my job because I trust that my staff know how to integrate that into their lives and their language in a way that's going to be mostly flawless. And I'm not Mm going to have to worry about it. I don't feel unsafe in my family and I don't feel safe, unsafe in external contexts because I have a lot of identities that keep me safe, Mm -hmm. but I I don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. I just don't have the energy to deal with the back and forth of, of correcting people. And that's the way that I think about it. So it's not Mm -hmm. about safety. It's about preservation of energy. I think Mm -hmm. that could be a reason why 
Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point, right? It can be really difficult to be somebody who is constantly leading the charge on changing the paradigm of others. And totally, and I think there can be so much pressure mm-hmm. for folks who are non-binary and trans to constantly be advocating for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love to be able to take some of that pressure off because mm-hmm. it's not their job. Yeah, exactly. Job. Exactly. Well, you mentioned cancel culture a little while ago, and I do think that this is a really scary sort of time for people to be trying new things, advocating in new ways, speaking their mind, aligning with ideas. And I wonder, you know, about how we might create space to call people in instead of calling people out. So what's your approach with that, um, you know, as an ally? versus as somebody who is in the marginalized group? Yeah. You know, I think that there's a difference between talking about someone's entire being and character and right to community and talking about a behavior that's problematic. Mm -hmm. So when giving feedback, when I give feedback, I try to be as specific as possible about the harm and the impact of that harm Mm -hmm. instead of globalizing it as like, wow, you're a shitty person. I can't, (laughs) I mean, having really having my own platform has been the best way that I've learned about it because I notice the types of feedback I get that really do help me learn, grow, and be better. And the types of feedback I get that really make me shut down. The ones that make me shut down are when people pretend to know something about me that they don't. Mm -hmm. Um, The ones that are really helpful are when people of a certain identity say like, Hey, I I appreciate the work you're doing on this page. This one post though, this one thing you said, uh, I noticed that, you know, there's some white supremacy implicit in that. And I am so here for that conversation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think specificity and feedback is always helpful. I agree. Uh, Just the other day, my partner and I were out at a restaurant and the waitstaff came up and said, how are you guys doing? And then that's fine right? I didn't have any problem with it in the moment, but many people might. But later that wait staff also addressed me as ma'am. And I thought, well, isn't that curious? So what is that about, right? It's so automatic, the language that we choose sometimes and the ways in which we group people together versus how we speak to them when they're isolated. So I actually brought it up with the wait staff and I said, hey, can I offer you some feedback? And I always ask for permission first when I'm offering feedback because without it, it can sometimes feel like a defense and or an attack. And I think people are less receptive to it. But when they are open to feedback, then they're open right? And it might be a safer conversation. So that's sort of one way that I test that out just to see if it's okay for me to even go there. Sure. Um, so the, the, the wait staff was really amenable to the feedback. And I said, I just noticed these um, gendered words. And I, I'm curious about how you chose those words. And he, well, he, we, we later had a conversation about pronouns and his were <laughs> he and him. Um, so it, it really sparked a lovely conversation about how even in West Hollywood, California, which is one of the more progressive neighborhoods in this country, people still aren't necessarily aware and thinking about how to use pronouns and the language that we use because it's so automatic. Totally. And I, I love that story. And I am like, amazed at at your sort of wherewithal and bravery to have that conversation. Cause I noticed for myself, even though I teach people how to do this, it's really hard 
And I'm also thinking about how that person went to work that day and had no idea that they were about (laughs) to learn something from you. Um, And I love that. I also sort of want to add to this conversation. We're talking specifically about gender and pronouns, but so often when we talk about cancel culture um, and feedback, it's about race. And I want to be really careful about tone policing because I think we can talk about the way we prefer to give feedback that we find to be effective Mm. when it comes to other people of other marginalized identities, specifically BIPOC folks. I think it is important to, um, as white folks hear the feedback behind any tone that may make us defensive. Absolutely. Um, Right. I I think there's some nuance to that. Uh, Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because I mean, it is so easy to just sit in our own little position in the world, whatever that position may be, and assume that we know right for everyone else. And Mm -hmm. certainly (laughs) white folks have a longer and more detrimental history of that than anyone else on this planet. So I really appreciate you continuing to bring that awareness to the surface, because that is the work that we all can do. Yes, it is. Totally. Well, you have a really interesting program coming up, a, a workshop or a course. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it is. It is just an hour and it is sort of an expansion of what we've talked about here today. How can we think about and start integrating gender, gender neutral language and gender expansive language into our everyday lives with some just really concrete, practical tips? And I also got a bunch of um, questions submitted from my followers so I could really gauge what is it that people are wondering about mm-hmm, this? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be taking place at 6 p.m. Central Time on July 7th, but it will be recorded. So if you register and you can't be there, you will still get the hour recording. Um, so I, yeah, I encourage anyone who is curious and wants to practice to think about doing something like this. That's great. Where can people register for your workshop? Yeah. So if you go to my page um, on Instagram at Queer Sex Therapy, there's a link in my bio, or if you go to my website, theexpansivegroup.com on the education page, you can register there. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Casey. I really appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Modern Intimacy. Follow our show on your favorite podcast app by going to modernintimacy.com slash podcast. And while you're there, don't forget to enter in a question or a topic idea for future episodes. That's modernintimacy.com slash podcast. This show is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for therapy or psychiatric care. Listening to this show or submitting questions or topic ideas does not constitute a therapeutic or professional relationship with Dr. Kate Balistrieri or any providers that work at Modern Intimacy. If you're having a medical or psychiatric emergency, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency room. All opinions expressed by guests on this show are those of the guests only and are not necessarily indicative of those opinions held by Dr. Kate Balistrieri or staff at Modern Intimacy. Thank you for listening to today's show. For more episode information and helpful tips, visit modernintimacy.com or follow us on Instagram at The Modern Intimacy or follow Dr. Kate on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Kate Balistrieri. See you next week.